Or you could say, show me all the companies that have already deployed Marketo, which is now part of Adobe. So there's so much you can do on the data side that if you're not using an AI to help you pull the list of who are the right customers, the right titles, the companies that are surging around a certain kind of an intent signal, then you're probably missing the boat on hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in sales, depending on your company size. Welcome to the Building to Scale podcast, where we bring real entrepreneur stories that showcase the challenges and successes in building and scaling an entrepreneurial business. Our host, Jeff Chastain, is a business transformation coach with Admentis, where he coaches business leaders and their teams with a proven set of principles and tools helping them gain clarity in and get more of what they want from their business. Make sure to stick around until the end of the show, and we will reveal how you can become our next guest. Hello, everybody. Jeff Chastain here with the Building to Scale podcast, where I get the opportunity to speak with entrepreneurial business leaders and thought leaders here, influencers, just really to hear and learn from their stories of both the challenges and successes they've had through the years as they attempted to grow and scale their business to where it is today. So, Today, I have with me Chris Burmeister with Scalex.ai. So first off, foremost, uh, Chris, welcome to the show, and thank you for coming on. Yeah, well, Chad, actually, but uh, Chris, we could <laughs> go with for the middle name. Yeah, <laughs> middle name's <laughs> Sorry Alan. Sorry about so, that. Yeah, all good, all good. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Yep, no worries. So tell me a little bit more. Again, like we said early on, the, the AI is kind of the, the buzzword hot topic these days. So tell us a little bit more about what Scalex AI is and what you guys are doing over there. Sure. It's interesting. We're just on the three-year mark. So we started in December of 2017. And um, it's funny, if you see my tagline here, pipeline is a service, a lot, of a lot of people kind of said, what is it you do? And so we tried to standardize on that. Where I think we're headed into the new year is to change the phrase to delightfully human. Because AI is really about augmenting human intelligence and enabling uh, humans to be more effective in the jobs that they do. So it's, it's been a little bit of a, a flip over the last three years of deploying technology across 200 different customers to understand that, ah, now I get it. It's, it's not about auditing, automating out people's jobs. It's about automating the, you know, the repetitive non-value-added tasks that a salesperson shouldn't be doing and that AI could. And where AI can actually beat a human it are the very interesting parts of the equation. Yeah, that's interesting you say, because that's, you always hear like the the really old school, old days, date myself kind of thing, Terminator and stuff like that, movies where it's AI is going to come take over the world or robots going to take over the world. And that's not where it's proving to be that, it, like you said, it really comes into, okay, what are the, what are the stuff that simply could be done more, more efficiently than if I, sitting, like you said, sales, sitting here making calls or making stuff like that. It's like, okay, that's just the tedious kind of part of the job that, okay, if we can do something that automates that and makes it a little bit more proselytized. That's a lot better. So interesting. We've, we've bucketized it into three areas. So if you think about data, digital, and dials. So when it comes to data, um, who are you calling? And, and, and what list are you pulling in the first place? And so a lot of companies say, hey, you're the sales team. Go ahead, find your own data. Well, nowadays, there's so much AI that's being deployed on data sets. There's a company called Bombora. And that's embedded into another company called Sales Intel, 
So I can go do a search. There's 7,200 different phrases or different um, intent data signals. So some, you know, let's say I want to find companies who are investing in marketing automation. You just plug that in, you, you fill out the uh, geography, maybe the company size, the industry, and it says, oh, look, these are the 872 companies that are currently looking for marketing automation. And it's, you know, it's amazing. Or you could say, show me all the companies that have already deployed Marketo, which is now part of Adobe. So there's so much you can do on the data side that if you're not using an AI to help you pull the list of who are the right customers, the right titles, the companies that are surging around a certain kind of an intent signal, then you're probably missing the boat on hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in sales, depending on your company size. Yeah. And, and on the flip side, you're wasting a tremendous amount of time just going through Google search results and whatever else kind of a thing, generic data, trying to mine that kind of stuff out. Cause that's, I see a lot of that just from, okay, where's, where's the focus of your company kind of a thing that, okay, well, do you have that tightened down target market? Or are you just simply wasting those resources trying to be anything and everything for everybody? Exactly. So I look at the data as the gas in the tank, right? If you put bad gas in, you're going to get pings then what do you do with the gas? And so when it comes to digital outreach, I believe within the next six to 18 months, most business people will have a virtual assistant. And so that's for email outreach as well as social outreach because you can program a virtual assistant. So my virtual assistant's name is Alyssa Brown. We've got about 10 virtual assistants who serve other people on my team. And so the virtual assistant might reach out to book me on a podcast uh, reach out to some of my biggest prospects. And that's a, you know, one-to-one -one relationship reaching out every day on my behalf. Um, the more advanced AI powered outreach, I would consider Alyssa Brown more of an automation than an AI, um, especially when it comes to social outreach. Where the AI kicks in, we're, we're in process of acquiring a company. And what this company allows us to do is say, Give me your list of your top 500 target accounts, for example. Then it plugs into LinkedIn and it looks at your first connections and your second connections. And it tells me beyond a reasonable doubt who has the highest propensity to get a meeting with those top 500 accounts, right? So now that we're connected on LinkedIn, yeah. you know, 30 days from now, you might get an email from me that I didn't write, uh, by the way. So if you might look at it, go, oh, I'll have a second thought on it. But it, it'll come for me and it'll say, hey, Jeff, I see you're connected to fill in the blank. Um, Joe Schmo, the CEO of ABC Company. Would you mind making an intro? And here's why, right? I, I want to talk to him or her about how they can scale their business more effectively, for example. And so we can now, instead of spending years to go in and figure out who those interconnected relationships are in eight to 12 minutes, I can run the analysis across all your first connections and your seconds for every 1000 you have, you have a million seconds. Yeah. So imagine a human trying to click through each one of the 1 million profiles. Oh, yeah. who's connected to Joe Schmo at ABC company. Forget about it. So <laughs> it would take years. So the value of AI is that in eight minutes, you could do what it would take you eight years to accomplish. Yeah. And then you just hit send and we start reaching out to all the influencers and we're seeing uh, about 30 to 50 introductions per month per rep by using this advanced form of artificial intelligence outreach.
Nice. And it makes sense because really that's just tedium kind of work sitting there. Like you said, even, even if you wanted to spend the eight years doing it, you'd drive yourself nuts sitting there trying to go through and yeah. do all that by hand. Yeah. So, uh, right. And then if you hired somebody for $8 an hour offshore, maybe, sure. Could they do it? Probably. But by that time, guess what? Eight years later, all those 1 million people, 800,000 of them are in different jobs than they were in eight years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So time matters in this new equation. And if you can shrink time, I think um, Joel Laban wrote the forward of my book, AI for Sales. And he said, in sales, uh, time kills deals. In modern sales, AI kills time. And I thought that was a good, uh, yeah. a good representation of the book. He's, he's probably the only human on the planet who's read the book twice, cover to cover. <laughs> no, that still sounds interesting. So take us back a little bit in, in time, a little bit in history here. What, how, did, how, how did you get to this point? How did you get to starting, obviously, ScaleX, since it's only a couple of years old now, or about three years old, you said? What, what happened before then and kind of led up to this point? Yeah, I've always been at the bleeding edge of technology, no matter my first job out of college all the way up till now. <clears throat> you know, I think Gary Vee is a good example, right? He always goes, and if TikTok's the new channel, he's there before everyone else is. And, and that's how I kind of look at life is I like to be ahead of the crew, you know, top one, 2% of trying something new versus waiting till the other 98% come on board. So if I go back to Arizona, when I first graduated college, I moved to Arizona, I worked for Airborne Express and everybody had these mapping technology, not technology, a book, yeah. right? That goes from page A8 to B6. And you're like, what? How does this work? And it was it was a mess. Then when MapQuest came out, and I'm I'm on my computer and I have the VP SVP of sales from the whole company. Uh, actually, I had moved to FedEx by the time. So she, Sandra comes out from Memphis and says, "Hey, you know where are we going?" And I'm like, "Yeah, we got six meetings." Well, instead of having that map book and pulling over to the side of the road all the time, I had it printed. Step one, two, three, four, five, six. And she was like, wow, this is amazing, right? And so we ended up implementing MapQuest for the whole FedEx as a result yeah. of that experience. And, and those are the kinds of things that I like to try something first inside for my own purposes. Then I give it to a rep or two. And then 30, 60, 90 days later, okay, now let me show you the outcomes I delivered for myself. Now I'm comfortable offering that same service to my customers. Um, so it started very, very early in my sales career, and I continue to press the boundaries on everything that we do at ScaleX. Well, it, it makes sense even from a, a business standpoint of, okay, try something small, test something small before you turn around and roll it out. Because I was talking with somebody just the other day. It's like the they actually started a, a bigger business that just immediately almost blew up, scaled up, and then ended up crashing on the other side kind of thing. Just got, okay, we grew too fast was basically what they were coming from it as. Like, okay, we didn't really have time to prove this out. We didn't have time to do this. Everything just got thrown in and invested all at once and came out the other side. Okay, this is not long-term longevity. Whereas if you can do some smaller scale tests, some smaller scale growth like that, slow, steady growth is still a lot better at that point. Totally. What's interesting now is that now that we've hit a critical mass, I'm talking to different paid ads, SEO people that are like, what? You're telling me you haven't even done any paid ads to date? I'm like, well, you know, $100 here and there just to kind of pulse the market and we'll drive seven, eight, nine leads for a hundred bucks. And they're like, 
did you know I can help you grow to hundreds or thousands of those kinds of leads? And, and so I'm, I'm going to be really interested headed into a new year to think about what kinds of traditional paid ads and SEO kinds of spend can we do? Um, because we've always been cutting edge. So we probably need to do a little more of the traditional outreach as well. Well, there's something to be said for that. But at the same time, if you take that and say, okay, now out of the gate, go back three years ago, we got a brand new product we're trying to bring out to market, a brand new idea, and we're going to go do all these paid ads and bring in hundreds of leads all of a sudden. What would have happened or what would be the difference there in business? Yeah, we wouldn't have had the 200, the set of experience that we've gained over the last three years right? Yeah. Of, of trial and error and probably more error than, uh, than positive. And so about 42% of the time we convert from a pilot to an ongoing. That was the beginning. Nowadays, we're more like 95% conversion from pilot to ongoing. Yeah. So you've got to, you know, tweak, test and measure, A, B test, and then be able to say no to certain customers. You know, that was a big learn. Even, even in the first three months, one of our first customers signed up and became a real pain before we even launched. We did a, we did a test of 25 emails and four or five of them bounced. And he goes, oh, that's going to be terrible. We're going to have, we're going to be in spam boxes. And I go, wait a second, that's 25 emails. We're doing 3000 over the next quarter. Don't worry. It's four bounces. That means the email just is no longer valid. And he was like, oh yeah, that's unacceptable. And I was like, okay, goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> we can't work with you. Well, and there's, there's truth to that. That's kind of one of the key things, because especially early on, you want to grab every customer you can. And some of them are not necessarily always the ideal ones you want to keep around forever or try to bend over backwards to please and spend a whole lot of resources into that when you're just never going to be able to. That's right. That's right. So tell me a little bit more about your current role in the organization. How did, how did things go? I guess looking obviously about three years time of time frame from starting this out, I guess let me word this a different way and back this up. So if going back to the three years of the startup, how did, how did ScaleX look? Was this just your brainchild? Did you have other partners? How, how did you get into ScaleX in the first place? Yeah, good question. I, you know, I, I actually took a, a, a slower path to become the CEO. So I founded the business with um, one other person who happened to be one of my best business development outreach cold callers that I ever worked with. So we put him on the phones and then I have a, a friend named Dan Percy, who, who was the COO and interim CRO. So I created the website, the Salesforce deployment, all the ads, all of that behind the scenes working at nights and weekends, but I didn't have to leave my day job. I fed them with the leads and then the business partner who would do the cold calls would tee up the CRO. Now in 60, 90 days, they closed zero. And I was like, huh, is this dog going to hunt or what's going on here? Well, then I brought in three different referrals to the team of people that I knew. And I said, look, you can get 30 to 50,000 sales touches for the price that you'd normally pay to get 3,000. And people that I know are like, well, Chad, I know you, I trust you. If you're telling me you'll get 30,000 over three, sign me up. And so we, three of those referrals ended up spending $100,000 in the first, the first three deals we did. And then by the end of December, 
we signed $337,000 worth of deals. So I left on November 30th, 2017. And then by December 1st, I was at a sales 3.0 conference in Philadelphia. And within that month, we signed another $250,000 worth of business. Um, so it, it was, you know, it's always good to try to figure out if the market has a need for your product before you, you know, before you jump head first into the water, because it could be freezing water and you have to be careful. <laughs> yeah, no. And that's, that's one of the keys I typically will talk with. Cause a lot of people ask me, do I, do I work with startups? And typically it's no, because I feel like, okay, like you said, you need to get out there, verify, you've got a product, verify, you've got a market before we go invest everything in pick whatever office or technology or additional coaching or additional partners or whatever kind of a thing. It's like, let's, let's make sure you've got a valid actual business first, a business idea before you start jumping into those waters. Yeah. Now the good thing is when you do 30,000 touches in a quarter compared to the normal three, then you're going to get a lot of market feedback. And, you know, I'm very careful if the customer doesn't have product market fit yet then I'm very careful to say, hey, we may find out that we're just accelerating a really bad business model. The good news is you'll know it in a week to 10 days instead of a year. Yeah. So, but just be ready because I'm going to talk to not me personally, but my company on your behalf is going to talk to dozens or hundreds of prospects in a very short window. So every week when we're meeting, We've got to provide the feedback to the team to pivot and tweak the message so that we find the market, right? Maybe you're only five degrees off from the market. Well, let's figure that out by getting feedback from the customers and the prospects, and then you yeah. can pivot over time. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. So from your current role, looking at, obviously, I'm trying to think, how, how big did you say you were from a company standpoint now? Um, this year will be about 2.4, 2.5 in revenue. And next year, we're going for another double, um, yep. which to get to five. Um, we've got really four full-time employees and then about five or six uh, 1099 contractor uh, type folks that are doing sales and some delivery. So. so have you found your role changing any in the last year or two years kind of a thing as that company grew and scaled? 100%. Yeah. You know, traditionally a founder and CEO, especially if you come from my background of 25 years of selling, you want to be in on every deal and you, and you just, it's hard to relinquish the control because especially in the beginning of the company, six months in, I'm like, all right, I know how to scale. I've run hundred person sales teams. Let me go hire two salespeople. And then I hand over my entire pipeline and entire lead flow. And we go down to near zero. We're not funded. We don't have dry powder in the bank. Yeah. So when you do that and you say, wait a minute, the only two deals you closed are the ones that I teed up for you and basically closed for you, that's not going to scale. So it was really, really hard for me to, to give that up. Um, what, what I did over the last year is documented more of the process, took a lot of chorus.ai recordings and put a best practice library together, built out the slide deck, built out an online ROI calculator. Everything you do, you just have to kind of go, oh, wait, pause the tape. I got to hit record right now so that the sales team can understand what it is I'm doing. So now I'm spending a lot of my time on podcasts, um, whether it's AI for sales podcast, which is my show, or on podcasts like yours. 
and I'm doing a lot more of the uh, branding and speaking and those kinds of things. And, you know, my, my opportunity count, just to give you a physical numbers, 62 opportunities I created in January of 2019. This last month, I created about 18 and 12 or so were, I just created them and then flipped them to the rep. Yeah. Um, I have a CS person now and I'm like, hey, if you don't create those, you're not going to get paid on them. And when she realized that she jumped all over it. So guess what? I bet next month I'm down to three or four from 62. And when I'm down to zero, that's when I know I've done the right job. Yeah. I was going to say, you're, you're, you're lowering those numbers, but at the same time, the company is growing. So obviously, like you said, process and people and teams, you're building it the right way to be able to hand that down. But yeah, that's a struggle. I think probably from about every entrepreneur I've talked to is, okay, how do I start backing off and, and relinquishing some of that control? Because you're the expert at doing it all, right? Well, and then and then it's it's also you're passionate about, you know, what what are you passionate about? What are you good at? What does the market pay for? So there's three or four circles that there's a dot in the middle. And so if all of a sudden you're like, wait, for two and a half years I've been doing the selling and I'm good at it, people pay us money for it. And then if I move the dot on the page over here and now I'm doing podcasts all day. Am I gonna am I gonna enjoy it? And, yeah. and those are some of the things you just have to you have to test and measure. For me, you know, thank God, like six months into doing a lot of podcasts, I'm like, yeah, I do enjoy it. As long as I have my toe in the water and understand what's going on with customers and deployments, um, you you've got to hire. I have a CRO who's just could run circles around me from a selling perspective. And I'm pretty darn good when it comes to sales. He, he's been a leader at IBM for 15, 20 years. He was the SVP at Miller Hyman for eight years. So higher up and, and that helps you put your foot off the gas and let someone else put their foot on the gas. Yeah. So I'm curious over the three year, not, not super long time frame with, with ScaleX, what kind of have you had to do any kind of market adjustments or changes from your original ideas? That is it still basically the same path you've been on for three years, or um, same vision, which is really helping companies scale a, a repeatable pipeline and close, you know, close more revenue that's that's predictable. the The biggest pivot kind of happened when Gabe Larson, then at InsideSales.com, kind of I'll call it picked a fight with me. I remember I was driving with my son from Vale back back home. We're about to go into the Eisenhower tunnel. And he said, Hey, Chad. And he, and I like the guy, right? He's a good guy. And he goes, Hey, you know, I'm going to pick a fight with you if it's cool. And it's going to be, you're going to take the position of bots taking over the sales role. And I'm going to say that that'll never happen. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Sure. Go for it. So the next day he just unleashed the lion and it was like, you know, I don't believe it. Chad says this, Chad says that he's coming after your job, blah, blah, blah. Well, we had, I signed 42 deals that were $1,000 a month. Normally our business was eight to $10,000 a month. Yeah. So we couldn't handle the 42 deals that we signed. And it wasn't proven that if we didn't do dials on top of that digital outreach, it wasn't proven that we would actually be super successful because digital only without actually phone calls, you know, you're, you're kind of putting one hand behind your back. Yeah. So we were like, okay, sure. I can sell you the $1,500 a month or 2000 a month. Well, then I had to meet with this consultant that's on my board of advisors, Jason. 
came to my house and we spent two hours and we looked through the deals and he goes, look, you see all those little 5,000, 7,000, it takes you just as much time and energy to stand those up as it does the 42,000 one sitting right there. Your margin's better, your long, your, your long, you know, lifetime value of the customer's better. And I was like, ah, so we really had to learn how to sell the 500. We ended up moving the 1500 down to 500 and only focusing on a social selling tool because that we found in our campaigns was delivering 60 to 70% of the value of the okay. outcomes. So we said, you know what? You don't need email. You don't need dials. You don't need all this other stuff. Let's get you 70% of the value for 90% lower cost. And, and then we, now that business is scaled like crazy. The churn is negative churn. And, you know, now uh, the bigger deals we sell for companies that are perfect fit, and then we can sell the $500 SKU to almost anybody. So kind of expanding upon that, why do you think that leaders tend to struggle when it comes time to making changes or making decisions like that or realizing for that matter that change is even needed at that point? I think it comes down to you're trying to drive the car yourself and you don't have other people sitting in the front seat with you. So I did a mindset retreat with Gerhard from Selling Power and about 35, 40 executives, um, super class of people that went there. And we went to LA and we went to this racetrack uh, in the Inland Empire, I think, way out there in the heat. And I drove a Ferrari and there was a guy in the front seat with me and I had my headset on, he's got his, you know, pedal to the metal, pedal to the metal. You're getting into the turn, shift up, shift down, all that stuff. The first time around, I'm laying off the gas and the cone's 150 feet ahead. He's like, no, 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 Chad, next time around, I want you to floor it as if you're going to hit the wall. I will not let you hit the wall. I have a break over here. So floor, so, but I, I wouldn't have known that unless he's whispering in my ear. So by the time I'm lap two, three, my learning curve's going like this. Yep. And that, you know, I joined the C-Suite Network, which is Jeff Hazlett's organization. Uh, this last month, I joined Board of Advisors. And I have nine people on my Board of Advisors now that are super powered people. And they're whispering in my ear at all stages of the process. If you try to do it all in your own head, you're going to miss the boat. You're going to miss the turn. You're going to run into the wall. Yeah. You've got to hire mentors and advisors. And I think that's really key because a lot of times, honestly, you get to the top and it's kind of lonely. It's kind of quiet. There's, there's no other peer. Hey, reach over the cube. The next guy over, how, how do you do this? Or what, what's going on here? Or check my work here on it. It's like, by the time you're at the top, you're making a decisions that impact a lot of people and you don't have a lot of people around. So yeah, that's, that's key. We've got a, we have a partner that's pretty important to us and we moved away from them because there was a little bit of a personality conflict between let's say me and one of the executives there. And so we went to a competitor for a year and we realized that the quality of service just wasn't the same. So when, when Rich came in and helped me reestablish a better relationship um, it, it's the reason why we are able to sell probably close to a million dollars, if not more, that we may not have, we wouldn't have closed that much. Yeah. So, you know, hiring the right people to be within your organization and handing the keys over to the car sometimes is, is super, super important. 
And this may kind of go right back into that, but have you ever kind of found yourself as the, the leader, as the CEO, kind of struggling with the clarity on, on the business? Is it okay, like you said, which direction do we go or what, what changes anything there? Or is that, is it, like you said, you've always had kind of the same vision there. So has that always been fairly constant? Um, we've had some folks, including the CRO, say, hey, why don't we go sell to upsell, cross-sell current accounts? And I and my old COO said the same thing. And I heard it at Morgan Stanley five years ago when I presented in front of them at a different company. So that whisper in my ear has always been there. And I've wanted to own Pipeline as a service first. As we do the flip to delightfully human and say, okay, now we've solved the Pipeline as a service problem at scale. We can use those same tools, SMSs, automation, a virtual assistant, AI for down, all that stuff can now be used for cross-sell upsell. Um, now, you know, after hearing it from multiple people over the years, now I'm now I'm ready to kind of open up my blinders and say, okay, now we're ready. And yeah. that's, you know, you don't go from two and a half million to five focused on the same niche, or I, I take that back. I think we could. And TK, the other side of me, TK Cater uh, is a mentor of mine. And he says the riches are in the niches. Yeah. And so, you know, do you want to go deep with the thing we do, which is outbound, or do we want to go deep and wide and start to go into other areas? Um, I'm, I'm open. And, and I think next year will time will tell if we get into that space or not. Well, speaking of that, so what do you look at as the future in terms of four or five years? What, what does ScaleX look like in terms of a company and in direction at this point? It's if you look at the space of sales engagement, sales automation, sales enablement, it's very splintered. You can buy a tool like Chorus to do conversation recordings. You can buy outreach to do your emails. You could buy a data tool from Zoom Info or Sales Intel. But nobody, or at least not very many companies, there's one that I can think of. Apollo, I think, has done a fairly good job of combining data and the email, a little bit of LinkedIn, but the full package. Yeah. And so I think that's where the that's where the world is headed. We want to be the first that pulls together most of the core. So right now we we represent about six different point solutions and then we wrap it all up under the Scalex brand. We're about to acquire one of the point solutions in the next week. And then we want to acquire number two, number three, number four. So ultimately we'll vertically integrate all of these providers. Uh, but we, we needed to try and test and measure and build the integration plan and figure out what the costs and the revenue model is before we before we acquire and roll up these companies. Makes sense. So I'm curious, obviously it sounds like you've got a plan for this, but how are you looking at the, the overall integration? Cause Granted, you probably can't give names or anything at this point, but what's what kind of going from a, you said four or five person company right now, bringing in a whole nother, buying a whole nother one, you're you're looking at potential challenges there from uh, company integrations and stuff like that. I'm curious if you share any of your plan or any of your thoughts or anything around how do we turn this into one company now? Yeah, well, it's interesting. We looked at a company called Toolbox OS and we're still talking to them that that has a framework and a platform that everything can plug into. Um, 
a lot of the modules that we offer are just disparate systems. And so yep. they have to have one shared database. So we believe that by acquiring this first company and leveraging the database that's already there, by, and then bringing in a fractional CTO and one or two engineers that work for the CTO, I've directed uh, engineering teams from afar where I'm the head of sales and I bring the requirements to the team and they deploy them. So I've just never been the CEO sitting over the top saying, okay, now I'm responsible for, for the costs of that and the revenue of that. Um, but I've had enough interaction with these engineering teams that I'm comfortable uh, that, you know, with the right smart people, and you can tell the difference, right? I had one person on a call with this vendor that we're acquiring and the questions were an inch deep. Yeah. And then on my drive home from Winter Park, another ski story, uh, just a few days ago, I was on the phone with the other IT person over the pass and he his questions were as deep as you can go. So you've got to hire somebody in that CTO position that understands how to build a platform, understands APIs and integrations, and then can hire a team of one or two engineers to help us deploy, a, deploy it all. Now that makes sense. Cause yeah, that's, that's just your overall scaling. So bringing this kind of all the way back around, um, what kind of tip strategy, et cetera, do you wish you'd known potentially even three years ago, but even previous companies kind of a thing that, Hey, if I had just known this earlier in the journey, this would have been a whole lot simpler. Uh, few less fires we would have had to work through? Um, you know, the, the big one for me is cash flow has always been a challenge, whether it's my personal life or my work life. And to get to the point where I could answer the question about cash flow took going inside of my skull and figuring out why I self-sabotaged myself. So you think you can figure it out on your own. And remember, I mentioned, I mentioned the nine board of advisors. Yep. Um, you can't. There's stuff that's rattling around in there. And I was a real good math student, just like my son just got into a really good college this last six months ago, Colorado School of Mines, and his math's off the charts. And so we're smart enough to do it, and yet we hold ourselves back from doing it. So to me, the biggest advice I can give you is focus on the mindset first. Skill set is second, mindsets first. So you got to have someone you can work with who can say, what's your passion? What are, you, what are your goals 20 years from now? And help you connect the dots between there and now. And then go all the way back to when you were a kid and figure out what are those blinders that you have. And so TK sent me the easy button. <laughs> yep. and, he, and his whole message. That was easy. Right. And his whole message in that was, Chad, you know what it takes to do the cash flow game. Just do it. And, and that's where I'm like, holy, yeah, I do. I mean, it's just, it's just like counting calories. <laughs> you know, how many yeah. do you take in and how many do you put out? So if I wanted to pull, if I do 2.4 million this year, I could have pulled out 500,000. I chose not to because I'm investing it back into the business. So at what level, what bet level, a risk level do I want to put into the business? And, and it's just, it, you know, you got to look at the data, view your cash flows and get smart, but don't, don't let whatever your blocker is in your life that was put on by your parents, your teachers, your pastors, whoever, you got to go solve that problem before you can solve the rest of the problem. 
No, makes perfect sense. Yeah, that's good. So lots of other questions I could get to here, kind of a thing. I, I love diving into the technology side, but we want to talk business. So uh, wrap this up real quick. So where can, if, if visitors want to learn more about ScaleX AI and, and potentially as to whether it's a good fit for them, where can they go find some more information or find, find you? Yeah, um, it's www.scalex.ai. And you can email me personally at chad at scalex.ai. Um, we've do, we're doing something interesting. If you're interested in getting on podcasts, uh, there's a real easy way to run a search in LinkedIn Navigator and then run the automation that we use to reach out. And we have a virtual assistant reach out on your behalf. And I'm seeing a 40 to 50%. Yes, I'd like to have you on the show. Wow. So okay. if, if anyone on your show is interested in that, it's $500 a month and it's a three month program, $500 implementation fee. So it's two grand. You'll probably get 15 to 20 podcast interviews. And it's fun when you get a few that are 350,000 downloads, 150,000. I get seven leads in one day that all came back to back. Like the next email couldn't even come in and fit between them <laughs> because, because there were so many all at once. Yeah. So, you know, using automation is, is not expensive and it's a, it's a quick way to get either on podcasts or get meetings with your top prospects. So that's interesting. So you're going all the way down to an individual sole proprietor, kind of something potentially being able to leverage this is what you're. Yeah, I've got, target. we have yeah. over a hundred now that are mainly sole proprietors. Now there's a 10 pack at a big fortune 1000, but a lot of, a lot of these are individuals. And from a passion perspective, I was fired from my first sales job out of college. And so I've got this really, you know, passion to help entrepreneurs make it in, in selling their products. So. Interesting. Yeah. Well, good to hear. Cause yeah, that's a lot of times you look at tools like this and like, oh, okay, that's, I've got to get to a certain level or whatever to, to really be able to afford it or, or leverage it kind of a thing. So that's cool to always find tools that are this powerful and at that available at this level. For sure. So, all right. Well, I appreciate the time. Thank you for coming on and I definitely enjoy the insights there on it. Great to talk with you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Building to Scale podcast. If you would like to share your entrepreneurial business growth story, please visit buildingtoscale.com slash guest. If you got something out of this interview, would you do both us and our guest a favor and share it on your social media accounts? Don't forget to hit subscribe in your player so that you don't miss any future episodes and make sure to reach out to Jeff Chastain on any of the major social media networks or check us out at admentis.com.